one dictionary defines knick-knack as a bit of bric-a-brac. Well, that's really helpful. That tells me a lot. <laughs> but actually, uh, a brick et a brac is an obsolete 16th century French nonsensical phrase meaning at random any old way. And that's why both bric-a-brac and knick-knack have come to mean miscellaneous small object kept because they are antique, ornamental, or rare, or simply because they have sentimental value to the collector. And that would certainly describe the eclectic collection of stuff. Really everyone who lives is a collector. Did you know that you're a collector? It may not be of stuff, it may not be of mementos, but it is certainly of memories. And those memories are made up not of minutes, but of moments. Points in time that have a disproportionate influence on the momentum of our lives going forward. Our memories. Those moments in time. Time may be measured in minutes, but life is measured in moments. And some moments are larger than life. I'm sure that there are some moments that, that just like that come to your mind that stand out uh, over a multitude of other moments in your life. But there are some very impactful moments that are, that are always in your memory, that are very easily recalled. It's those defining moments that dictate the way we see life. Some of them are as predictable as a wedding day or the birth of a child. Others are as unpredictable as an accident or the potential for one <laughs> or the sudden death of a loved one. You never know which minute in your life might become a defining moment. But identifying those moments is really the key to identifying who you are. Psychological research suggests that one's self-concept is defined by a very small number of experiences. 99% of life's experience uh, vanish like vapor into the subconscious abyss. 99% of the things that you experience just kind of drift away into our subconscious. And most of the time, we don't recall any of those things. Only about 1% make it into our conscious memories. And less than 1% of that 1% are not just memorable, but absolutely unforgettable. Those are the moments that define us. So the key to fulfilling your God-given destiny is hidden in your past moments. 1 Samuel 17 and 54 and 55 tell us, And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor 
in his tent. And he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. Now, you didn't know that David was a knick-knack collector, did you? But he was. Except the knick-knack he kept in his tent weighed about 125 pounds. Any of you have, you know, 125-pound knick-knack sitting on your mantelpiece or, or, or on a shelf in your, in your uh, living room or kitchen somewhere? David did. Goliath's armor probably weighed almost as much as David. In fact, just removing the armor was more work than killing the giant was. It took more effort to move the armor than the effort that it took for him to kill the giant. But every time David packed up his tent and pitched it somewhere else, that armor went with him. Why? Because that massive knick-knack was a daily reminder of a defining moment in David's life when he learned that his God was bigger than any giant. Amen. Amen. You see, our defining moments double as altars to God. Do you ever wonder if David also kept the blood-stained stones that had been buried in Goliath's forehead? Bible never talks about it, but I can promise you if I were in David's situation, I'd have taken that stone. I can remember the first deer that I that I killed. I kept the cartridge from that, the spent cartridge. It was a, a memento. I think I've since gotten rid of it, but you know, it was one of those things where it was like, man, this is a memorable moment, you know, and I kept that as a a little, a little part of that memory. Can you imagine how important it may have been to David to, uh, you know, to, to have that stone that brought down that giant that all of the armies were so afraid of? Who knows? And if I had been Abraham or Jacob, I might have taken an annual vacation on top of Mount Moriah where God provided a sacrifice just in time or near that stone pillar at Bethel where God met with me. If I was Simon Peter, I would have rode out once in a while to that spot on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus empowered me to walk on the water. If I was Daniel, I would have walked by that lion's den in Babylon every so often with a very smug smile of holy confidence on my face. Yes. Saying, look what God did. I know what God did. Nobody else but God could have done that. That's right. He Amen. did that for me. Amen. I bet that Zacchaeus let his grandkids climb the sycamore tree where he got his first glimpse of Jesus. And I can almost guarantee that every time the Apostle Paul traveled on the road to Damascus, he stopped at that particular mile marker, if you will, where God literally knocked him off of his high horse. <laughs> I, I, I don't imagine that there was a time 
that he ever went by that, that 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 memory didn't instantly pop to his mind and say, I remember what happened right there. Yes, amen. I remember how God got a hold of me. Mm. And if you were lit Lazarus, wouldn't you have made an annual trek to put some fresh cut flowers by the tomb where you had been buried for four days? Yes. You know you would have wanted to, to, to go back by there and say, you couldn't outdo my God, could you, Grave? You couldn't hold me. My God has power over Amen. you, Grave. Amen. He's greater than you. Amen. I know every time I'm at our campground in Ocala, I look at the spot outside of that old tabernacle. Right on the outside at the very back corner by an AC unit. It was, it was that spot that I prayed back through where I dedicated my life to God. Amen. That, that point in my life that God really got a hold of me. And it was more than just a, a casual experience. Yes. It was an experience that changed my life. Amen. Oh, and I can't go by that without looking at that spot and it bringing a tear to my eye. Yes. Oh, that's one of those moments that I'm talking about. One of those memories that define us. Amen. Amen. The art of altar making is a lost spiritual discipline with many Christians today. And because we've lost our long-term memory, we create a lot of spiritual problems in the short term for ourselves. See, the primary reason we lose faith is we forget the faithfulness of God. Maybe that's why the word remember is repeated almost 250 times in the Bible. We have a tendency to remember what we should forget and forget what we should remember. That's why God was always telling his people to build altars or establish memorials because without those physical reminders, we quickly forget the spiritual lessons we've learned along the way. I know any time that I'm at a spiritual low, I can take a trip down memory lane and I can view some of those altars that jog my spiritual memory. They're not just physical objects. They're spiritual milestones in a life lived for the Lord. They're reminders from the past that give meaning to the present and confidence for the future. How many of you tonight can look back in your life and there's some of those some of those spiritual milestones that you can look to? Amen. Sometime where where God answered that prayer just in time. Yes, amen. Sometime where God showed up and did a miracle for you that only he could do. Yes, amen. I've heard some of the accounts of, of different ones of, uh, in your life. Carlos, you and I have talked about 
many times that God did miracles for you. Hmm. Financial miracles. <laughs> I remember one you were telling me it involved a car. Listen, it was something that only God could do. He showed up and answered a prayer and he was right on time and it was just what you needed. Amen. And it just, everything worked. Listen, those are the things that we're talking about tonight. Those, those spiritual points in our life that we need to make altars. We, we need to make those the stones of remembrance. As Sister mm -hmm. Jennifer was talking about with the, the, the stones that the Israelites brought up out of the Jordan, the, the, the heads of those tribes, they, they took them over and they, they set them up on the other side of the, of the, the river there. <laughs> And, and when, the, when, when their, their children walked by, the Lord said that those are set there for stones of remembrance so that when your children walk by and ask, what are those? You can talk about what God did for you, Amen. what Amen. God did for your granddad, Amen. what God did for your ancestors, yes. generations to come. Amen. Those things will stand Amen. and they'll be markers that that tell about God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Amen, amen, mm. amen. What are some of the altars in your life? Is it a pivotal church service? Does it involve a hospital room? Maybe it was a conversation with a trusted friend. Maybe it was a challenging sermon. I can tell you it was a sermon that night at that campground that precipitated that return to God that I told you about that took place out by that old AC unit. A sermon that I didn't deserve to hear, but that God prompted the camp evangelist to preach when it didn't apply to anybody else there that night but me. Amen. 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 Oh, those are moments that you won't forget. Maybe it was a, a promise made beside the, the, the bedside of a loved one that was on their deathbed. Or maybe a long walk alone with just you and God. Maybe it was one of those moments where you just, you were to at a, a crossroads in your life and you just wanted to have a little talk with Jesus and it was in that moment that God showed up and gave you the, 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 the word, the answer, the, the scripture, the promise that you needed. Yes, amen. Don't ever forget those things. Don't ever let those things go. Alex Haley, the author of Roots, had a picture in his office showing a turtle sitting on top of a fence pole. The picture was there to remind him of a lesson that he learned long ago. He said, if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know he had some help. 
There's a lot of wisdom in that. That's right. Every time you do something significant and you begin to feel proud, remember the turtle on top of the fence post and remember that he didn't get there on his own. He had some help. That's right. When God prospers you and, and you begin to, to, to reach a, a high point in your life, don't get proud. Become thankful and remember that God has brought you there. God has helped you to get there. God has brought you to the point that you are and blessed you. Amen. He's been there to help. I think having Goliath's 125-pound armor in his tent and carrying it around from place to place served the same function for David. You know, the sheer size of the armor was clear evidence of the fact that David had some help. Goliath's armor was that turtle on the fence post for David. It made him realize that, you know what? I'm pretty good with a, a sling and a stone, but to really have accomplished this, it took God. Amen. I couldn't have done that on my own. Amen. That took God's help. By the end of his illustrious career as a neurosurgeon, a man by the name of Dr. Wilder Penfield had explored the brains of 1,132 living patients. Many of those patients had, had suffered from epileptic seizures, and Dr. Penfield wanted to know why. Once a hole in their skull was made with the help of local anesthesia, patients were awakened so they could communicate with Dr. Penfield during the surgery. It was during some of these operations that Dr. Penfield made a fascinating discovery. Using mild electrical currents to stimulate different parts of the brain, Dr. Penfield found that his patients experienced flashbacks, vivid memories from the past that replayed in their mind's eye. One patient recalled every note from a symphony she had heard at a concert years before. The same spot was electrically stimulated 30 different times. And each time she recalled every note. Another patient recalled sitting at a train stop as a child and she could describe each train car as it went by in her mind's eye. Another patient visualized a childhood comb and was able to recount the exact number of teeth it had. Not only were the flashbacks extremely detailed, but in fact many of them predated the patient's first conscious memories. Dr. Penfield concluded that every sight, every sound, every smell, every conscious thought, every subconscious dream is recorded on our internal hard drive. It's there. 
the region of the brain known as the cerebral cortex. Here's how it works. And I'm going to read this because this is way beyond me. <laughs> when you hear a song or see a picture or read a verse of scripture, a line is traced on the surface of the cerebral cortex called a memory trace or an engram. The brain essentially, now this I understand, the brain essentially functions like a, a deluxe etch-a-sketch. How many of y'all remember playing with one of those as a kid? Turning those little knobs. Mm. If you hear the same song or see the same picture or read the same verse of scripture again, the line is retraced. With each repetition, the engram gets deeper and deeper until finally that song or picture or verse is engraved on the surface of the cerebral cortex. We could also say that it's engraved on your heart, not the physical blood-pumping organ in your chest, but your heart, your soul. Philippians 4 and 8 tells us, Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. See, not all memories are created equal. In fact, there are three kinds of memories. Sensory memory is as fleeting as a 10-digit phone number. How many of y'all have one of those minds that somebody can rattle off a 10-digit phone number and like that, you have it? Can you do that? Really? Man, not me. Thank God that when, I, when I'm dialing my phone, I can... I can close that screen and go back and look at the number again and come back over and put two or three more digits in and close right. it again and go back and, until I can get it safe. Now, there are some numbers that I can remember from years ago. I can remember my childhood phone number. I, I can remember back when we lived... Man, this is this is kind of hard to imagine, but at one point, Hiawassee Road, and right there by Hiawassee and 50, and, and you know, in Orlando there, that was considered a rural area. <laughs> and so we lived on a rural rail, rail mount, uh, route. And I can remember our address as a, you know, box, uh, or Route 3, Box 248. We were on Rural Route 3, and we were Mailbox 248. I can remember that from a small child. I can remember there's, there's a song that every time it plays, it flashes me back to a memory from when I was at the most two years old. A memory when my parents were 
building the house on Hiawassee. And as a, 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 a young child, they would take me out in the middle of the day while they were working, and they would put me in a little camper trailer that we have there that didn't have air conditioning. It was just a little camper trailer. And I can remember them taking me in there and laying me down for a nap. And they would uh, leave the door open, but they would close the screen door. And I can remember where it was positioned and the trees that were around it. And that there was this warm breeze that would blow through them. And all it takes is the first few notes of that song. And I'm right back to that place. Why? Because it's etched in my memory. Right. So sensory memory, like I said, it's, it's, it's as fleeting as trying to remember a number. Short-term memory has a, a little longer shelf life. You can recall what you wore, what you ate, or maybe what you read yesterday, but those details begin to fade rather quickly. How many of you here remember what you had for breakfast yesterday? How about the day before that? How, how about the, the week before that? Can you remember what you had for breakfast? Oh, okay. I see some of y'all have the same thing over here. <laughs> okay. I see how we're playing this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll try dinner. There you go. We don't all eat the same thing every night. Uh, uh, that's funny. Uh, <laughs> You had me going there. Like, wow, they're good. <laughs> uh, finally, there is long-term memory, and only a very small number of experiences make it into long-term memory. But it is those memories that shape your soul. Generally speaking, the length of memory and how deeply an engram gets etched depends on the strength of the emotion tied to the event. So the stronger the emotion, the longer and stronger that memory will be. Almost all of our long-term memories are associated with intense emotions, whether they're positive or negative. That's just the way God has wired us. 99% of our past experiences are quickly forgotten because they're barely felt at all. They may still be stored in the subconscious of our cerebral cortex, but they are like computer files that can't be accessed. Mm -hmm. We need to manage our memories. Now, I know some of you are going, well, I can't manage my memory. Yeah, you can to an extent. Certain memories need to be consciously deleted. And others need to be consciously saved. Just like the scripture that we read in Philippians 4. We need to think on some things. Right. We need to remember some things. Yes. We need to, to, to recite those things. Yes. 
We, we need to, to bring them up and, and, and keep bringing them up and keep bringing them up until they're, they're, they're stored in that long-term memory and, and they're, they're fo- you know, we have those in our focus. According to the research of psychiatrist Emory Cowan, the level of popularity of a child, the level of popularity a child experiences in the third grade is the greatest predictor of mental health when that child becomes an adult. Now, it might not be exactly third grade. It might be second or fourth grade. But it's true that early childhood experiences shape us in profound ways because children are like wet cement or like a radio talk show host that has, has no longer with us used to say they were skulls full of mush. If you had a great childhood, that's easy to admit. But if you had a difficult childhood, to some it's, it's hard to even think about. But difficult childhoods have produced some of the rem- most remarkable human beings, including a young shepherd boy who became a king. You know, David was a punching bag for his older brothers. How many of you here have older brothers? They ever mess with you? They ever pick on you? I can remember there used to be a time that that our bishop could put his hand on my on my forehead and, and do this number, and he'd sit there and tease me, and I'd try my best to, to hit him and kick him and do anything I could, but he could keep me out of arm's reach. Now he can't do that today. I mean, you know. He's 10 years older than me. I got the advantage on that. But back then, he was 10 years older than me, and he had the advantage on me. David was that punching bag for his older brothers. They were still picking on him when he visited them in the Valley of Elam. Really, his older brothers were the first giants that he faced in his life. I know a lot of people... In our society today deal with um, less than perfect fathers. David did. David had some issues there with his father. See, David's father didn't see David's potential. When the prophet Samuel was lining up the sons of Jesse to anoint the next king, Jesse didn't even bother to call David. How do you think that made David feel? You know, Dad called all my other brothers. He thought they were worthy, but he didn't think I could do it. He didn't think I had the potential. That had to mess with him. That had to hurt. But David didn't allow any of his difficulties to define him. Instead, he seized on every altar moment that life life handed him, whether it was negative or positive. We have, to, we have to take the good and the bad and we have to, to glean benefits, good things for our life from them. Some bad things will make us stronger. Some good things, well, 
They'll just place us in a better place. Leonardo da Vinci once made a distinction between two types of imagination. He said there is pre-imagining and post-imagining. Pre-imagining is imagining the future before it happens. We can sit there and we can think about tomorrow and what, what may happen. And we can imagine it in many different ways. But we can pre-imagine but post-imagining is reimagining the past after it happens. Do you know that we still do that today? How many of you have experienced something and it keeps playing over and over in your mind? And whether good or bad, it tends to, to kind of take a turn from where it really was. Post-imagining. Memories are not objective, they're very subjective. And we all have a tendency to romanticize or catastrophize. How do you like that word? <laughs> Pretty good. At, and I got it right. I'm not saying it again. <laughs> the past to one degree or another. We all distort memori uh, memories by minimizing some while magnifying others. And how we imagine those memories has a major bearing on how we view ourselves in the present and in the future. Our memories can either empower us to live by faith or they can imprison us to live by fear. You know, we talk about the words we speak and how they can, you know, build up a child or they can tear down a child. You know, a parent that's, you know, come on, man, you can do that. You know, you put your you put your mind to it, you can do anything you want to. And, you know, we talk about how that a parent that'll say that their kid's going to go far. But if you're a parent that tells your kid, you can't do that, what are you thinking? Don't, why are you even wasting your time on that? You know you can't do that. They're never going to accomplish their full potential. Our memories empower us or imprison us. How we post-imagine the past can make us or break us spiritually. That's why it's important to see our past through the eyes of God. Hmm. Mismanaging our memories can be as debilitating as a mental handicap. But the solution is post-imagining the past in light of God's faithfulness to us. How many of you have had some bad experiences in the past? Well, you know what? God was there with you. Yes, amen. God didn't leave you in those bad amen. experiences. Amen. And even if you had to walk through those bad experiences, God was there and he helped you get through it. Amen. Isn't that what David's psalms are? He looked back over the experience of, experiences of his life, searching for reasons why and looking for God's providence in the midst of his pain. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because God is with me. Amen, amen. His rod and his staff, they, they comfort me. Yes, amen. 
He's going back in his past and saying, I've been in some really bad situations. I've been in some situations where I was in fear for my life. But God never left me. And his rod and his staff, when I begin to think about that, think about how God is the good shepherd and David having been a shepherd and knowing that it was his job as a shepherd to protect the sheep, if God is the good shepherd, his rod and staff is not going to let the wolf come to your door and devour you. you and keep you and that's what David was doing in his psalms as you begin to read those you can see how he was looking back in his past and he was finding reasons to say God is good yes amen oh I've had some bad times but God has helped me I've had some bad experiences but God has has brought good from those things amen See, David is finding altar moments in his past to strengthen him today and to stain him tomorrow. We need to be able to do that in our life because we need God's help today and we definitely need his help in the future. And so we need to look to the past sometime and we need to remember God's goodness to us. We need to look at those moments where God showed up right on time. Mm -hmm. Where even when we've been through bad situations, God comforted us. Yes, amen. Mm. Amen. That situa situation that Sister Jennifer was, was sharing with you tonight about the birth of Jetson. <laughs> when we were in the midst of that, I was able to draw on something that the Lord had showed me just a few days before. Something that he, he had me do. A few days, I'll, I'll share with you, this is where... We're family here. <laughs> a few days before, I saw, I saw that child wrapped in a, in a hospital blanket, and it lay there dead. And the Lord instructed me in that, that, that he was showing me. He said, I want you to go pick up that child. I remember going and picking up that, that cold, lifeless body. And the Lord said, Mark, I want you to speak life into that child. And I remember thinking to myself, well, God, I'll be obedient to you, but I can't bring life. Only you can bring life. But I held that, that child in my arms and I began to speak life. I said the words. I said, God, I speak life back into this child. <laughs> and it took a few times of me saying that and convincing myself. 
But in that, that he showed me, life returned into the body of that child. The warmth came back. The strength came back. The breath returned. And life returned into the body of that child. Now, I didn't know why God was showing me that. Like I said, this was, you know, a few days before any of this happened. But God knew. God knew that we were going to go through a moment of testing, of trial, uh, of wondering. But in the midst of that, God reminded me. He, he said, pull up that memory. He said, remember, you spoke life according to my direction. He said, don't you worry about that child. You've already dealt with this in the past, and it's already done. Listen, that's the God that we serve. He can take those things that we don't understand of our past and He can bring those back to us in the time, in our future, that we need those the most. And He can say, see, it's already been done for you. You've already conquered this. You've already got the victory over this. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Altar moments. Romans 8 28 tells us, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Your explanation of the past will either empower you or debilitate you. They can be a catalyst for change or they can be as imprisoning as iron bars. And it's all up to you. You can't change the past, but you can learn from it. And that's how you change the future. There are lots of different explanations for the same experiences. The tough part is choosing the right one. That's where we need holy hindsight to see the hand of God. Some of those things in your past that hurt the most, oh, you can look at those and you can see all the bad. Or with the help of God, you can look back and you can see how His hand was there upon you in those times. Oh, you had to walk through them. But his rod and his staff were still there, not letting the the enemy devour you. Not letting you be destroyed by those. But he kept you. And if you can experience those and know the power of God that brought you through those. Now, no matter what tomorrow brings, you can stand strong and say, listen, God's done it before. He'll do it again. I can walk through this. I can face whatever comes my way. And I'm going to be all right because my God has not changed and His rod and His staff will still be there for me. Yes, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Philippians 2, 5 through 9 
Tell us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found as in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also have highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Thank God. Amen. During the Nazi occupation in Holland in World War II, many of you have heard about the Ten Boom family and how they risked their own safety by hiding Jews in their house. Then on February 28, 1944, their home was raided, and Corrie Tenbu, her father and sister, were sent to a concentration camp. They died, but Corrie survived. In 1975, her life story was made into a movie called The Hiding Place. How many of you have seen that movie? For many years, Corey Tinboom traveled the world sharing her experiences or maybe her explanations of her experiences. Corey would often speak with her head down. It looked like she was reading notes, but she was working on a piece of needlepoint. Then, after telling her story of atrocities at the hands of the Nazis, Corey would hold up the backside of the needle point first and recite this poem. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I do not choose the colors. He works so steadily. Oft times he weaves in sorrow and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttle ceases to fly, will God unroll the canvas and explain the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hands as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. One of the great joys of heaven is going to be post-imagining our lives. Looking back on what, what our experiences were and seeing how the hand of God was at work weaving a beautiful tapestry of our life. And his hand was there the whole time keeping us, helping us, providing for us, lifting us up, answering our prayers, comforting us, strengthening all that God does. What a joy it's going to be to be able to see the whole picture Amen. with clarity Amen. instead of looking at the, the underside of what looks like a, a tangled, gnarled mess when what the Master's really created is a beautiful picture. Amen. Stand with me.